What is up, Bridge Runner Nation? Welcome back to another edition of Bridge Runners Live. Tonight, our 41st episode, we sat down with Leah Yangling, who just set a new course record on the Hellgate 100K course in 12 hours, 7 minutes, 27 seconds. Not only did Leah take home the win and course record, but she ended up taking a negative split with her as well. Come hang out as we learn all about what made her race so successful and what she plans on doing in the future. Yo, what's crack and Ridge Runner Nation? Welcome back to another Ridge Runners live show. Tonight we are in for a treat as we are joined by the new Hellgate 100K women's course record holder. She ran a blistering time of 12.07.27, breaking the previous course record by 16 minutes. Coming to us all the way from Utah, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Leah Yingling, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks for having me, you guys. Mm-hmm. We're super excited to kind of talk to you and learn about your race. Obviously, an epic performance, obviously taking home a new course record. I uh, cannot wait to dive into that momentarily. But for those of you that don't know, my name is Wesley Harton, and holding down the floor with me tonight is a man who will complete a 100-mile race in 2021. Hey. JD3, John the III. How's it going, man? Pretty good. I like how you're starting to put the pressure on, and we're not even out of 2020 yet. Like, it wasn't <laughs> tough enough. You're just going to make it harder. Okay. Um it's good to be on another show with you guys, and it's uh, I'm, I'm happy. This is the third show this week, so all the Ridge Runner Nation members who have been joining us this evening or this week, if you're on number three with us, that's awesome. Um, remember to go ahead and give that subscription button a click down there if you if you want to join and, and be notified that we do all these videos every single week. But, Wesley, what are you... Uh... Lost my train of thought there. All right, we'll skip on that. Uh, <laughs> Leah, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a Belching Beaver Mexican chocolate peanut butter stout. That's um, that's from a San Diego brewery. Um, it's recently out there for Thanksgiving, so it's very tasty. Highly recommend. Tis the season. Nice. That's definitely a first on the show. <laughs> yeah. John, what about you? Um, I have a special beer that I saw today at the uh, gas station that I just couldn't pass up because of the opportunity, um, and so I have a Yingling. Yay! <laughs> But I just couldn't pass it up. It was, it was the greatest opportunity right there. So, let's say, what about you? What are you drinking tonight? And, you know, surprisingly enough, the same thing happened to me. So, I, I this, <laughs> it's wild how that works out sometimes. I'm also drinking a yingling myself. And we can't even get that out here in Utah. Really? Yeah. Well, you, maybe you should just ask for a beer sponsor. So, one of our other guests that we had on the show, uh, Jessica Vandenbush with E-Clean Run Dirty, she has a beer sponsor. So, I think we just need to get you a beer sponsor. I think you're onto something. <laughs> yeah, and I think yeah. even Brian Poland's got a uh, half sponsorship with Bush, right? <laughs> Keep sending that, that stuff. That, that was like an unofficial deal, but yeah, yeah, I think it definitely uh, we need to get Leah beer sponsorship. Uh, not mind that. <laughs> well, maybe by the end of the show, we'll uh, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Uh, <laughs> as always, you can find the show on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're on Strava, join our Strava club as well. The name is Ridge Runners on all platforms. Uh, I want to start off this show by just getting to know you and getting the viewers to know you a little bit better. Um, how did who are you, and how did you find trail running? Uh, yeah, so. Like you guys introduced me as, I'm Leah Yingling. I'm an ultra runner uh, currently residing in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm originally from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and I've been out in Utah now for about about a little over four years. Um, So I've been running since about seventh grade. I am uh, one of four girls in my family, and we're all within a three and a half year period. 
Uh, so I initially really started getting into more competitive running as a freshman in high school. Um, I have a twin sister and we were in ninth grade. So it was ninth, ninth, 10th, and 12th. Um, my three sisters and I, and we were all part of the varsity cross country team, uh, our one through four runners. Uh, so that was just like a really great way to kick off my running career at the very beginning. And, um, didn't really love racing in high school. Um, I was pretty average, but I enjoyed running. I enjoyed training probably the most. Um, and mostly just sharing miles with my sisters and a lot of my friends at the time. So I hit uh, college and started just doing mostly leisurely running, uh, dabbling in like half marathons and marathons. Um, and then it wasn't really until post-college and um, after I moved to Washington, D.C. that I started really getting into trail running. So uh, I was there, I was single, living alone, uh, just trying to find some sort of community of sorts. And I happened upon the Virginia Happy Trails Running Club. And they did these weekly runs in Great Falls Park. Uh, so I joined them um, almost every week as much as I could, uh, given my work schedule at the time. And those were my pretty much my earliest trail running days. Um, and I'd say since that moment, I've been running and competing almost exclusively on trails, uh, still dabbling in uh, road running here and there. But um, soon after that, I met my now husband, Mike. And conveniently, he had also he had run upwards of like 50 to 100 ultra marathons at that time. So our first summer dating, we were just traveling between, he lived in Virginia beach. So between Virginia beach and DC, just pretty much meeting up every weekend and running a trail race. Uh, so pretty, since then I've been, uh, racing, like I've kind of haven't raced as much as we did that summer. Uh, but just have fallen in love with trail running and I don't think I'm going anywhere anytime soon. That is just an awesome story to how you kind of found your way onto the trails and definitely one of the most unique stories that we've heard on this show so far, uh, which is awesome to hear. How did you kind of, uh, what was your training leading up to Hellgate? Obviously the race went super awesome. We'll kind of dive into that momentarily, but uh, what was your training like kind of leading up to it? Obviously this year has been different for everyone. So kind of talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so 2020 has just been wild in terms of having any type of consistency with racing um, and training at that. So Hellgate was the only race to happen for me in 2020. I was signed up for um, uh, nine trails in California in March. That got canceled. Uh, Canyons in April out in California. That got canceled. And then I got injured before Speed Goat in July. And then I was signed up for a local 50K Antelope Island in November. And that got canceled the week of. So, I mean, Hellgate was the only one to happen this year. And by the time all those races got canceled, Hellgate just slowly became my A goal for the year. Uh, so in terms of training, I've had a pretty solid base most of the year. Um, I'm not a super high mileage runner. I typically peak around 70 miles and between like right around like 15,000 feet of climbing a week. Um, so in the weeks leading up to Hellgate, I probably had, um, I think about like a 20 week uninterrupted block of training and just like super, super consistent with good vert and good miles. Um, and I had a couple really great training runs over Thanksgiving, but, um, the 50 K I was supposed to run in November, it got canceled the week prior. So I decided just to run, um, run a simulated 50 K out on the course. Cause it's only about an hour away, um, in place of that. And I think that was that kind of signified to me the type of shape I was in because I've run that course um, at least two two times prior. And I PR'd the course this year and um, took off like about three, I think three minutes off my 50K PR in November in like a non-race atmosphere. 
Um, so I think that was the first time going into Hellgate that I knew pretty much exactly what my fitness was and the type of um, shape I was in. And it kind of reset the goals that I had in mind for what I could do at Hellgate. Um, so yeah, I felt really good going into it this year. I struggled a little bit off and on this year with a lower hamstring injury. And luckily it stayed away going into Hellgate and it's not present coming out of Hellgate. So I consider that a pretty big success. That's awesome to hear, especially obviously, you know, you're training leading up to it and kind of just like you were firing on all cylinders. It sounds like mm-hmm. leading into the race, obviously, you know, race week, Dr. David Horton puts out the race seeds for the race and you're seated with the one bib. Uh, was there any pressure involving that or did you just not even kind of think about that le- going into the race? Uh, yeah. So, um, last year I was signed up for the race as well. Like I mentioned to you guys before, um, and I unfortunately had to pull out the week prior for an injury. But uh, I remember last year I was seated fifth and coming into that, I was kind of excited about that because I felt like, okay, seated fifth, nobody's looking at me. I'll be an underdog and maybe I'll surprise some people. Uh, but then of course I didn't make it to the start line. So there's nobody to surprise. But um, then this year when I got the one seed, I was, I was excited about that um, because I felt like maybe I was on some people's radar. I think it's a little interesting coming from the West coast to the East coast sometimes people don't know your races and what you've done. Um, so I didn't really feel any pressure. I was just excited because if you guys looked at the start, the start line this year and just the seated women's runner, I think it had to have been one of the most competitive women's field that Hellgate has ever seen. And there's just so many notable East coast names on that list. So I kind of just looked past the seating and just looked at the strong, powerful women that I was going to be amongst on that start line. And I think that just got me more excited than anything else, just to like be able to share miles with a ton of women in a race, which typically I don't get to do too often. Uh, So that was just really empowering going into the race, knowing that there were so many strong forces on that start line. Yeah. I mean, definitely the competition was just absolutely loaded at this year's race. Like, I mean, one through 20, one through 25, how many women were in the race? I mean, just going all the way down the list. I mean, it was awesome to kind of see that at Hellgate this year. Um, Exactly. I want to learn about the, obviously let's start diving into your race. Obviously the the night, let's go back. Actually, I jumped the gun a little bit. The night before the race, I want to talk about the midnight start. It's always such a unique uh, aspect of the Hellgate 100K. Talk about how you kind of prepare for that midnight start and what you did leading up to the hours before the race start. Uh, so we, yeah, that was. It's such an interesting thing because I've never started a race uh, at midnight before, and um, especially coming from Mountain Time, that's also a two-hour time difference. Uh, so having a midnight start is like in theory, starting at my 10 o'clock out here. So I thought the trickiest part about that was the fact that like you've lived a full day before you have to like tie up your trail shoes and like go off for 12 hours um, in the dark. So the day leading up to it, I um, I think I like woke up around eight and uh, we got, went and got some um, bagels. And then I, we came back, went to the grocery store, just kind of loaded up on all of our uh, goodies for the race and for uh, Mike to crew me. And then I tried to take a nap and I, uh, we were staying in this Airbnb and it had this nice white noise machine. Um, so I had this like little white noise machine, just like next to my ear, trying to like get a couple hours of sleep. Um, I think I got about an hour and a half of sleep in the afternoon and then just kind of laid there relaxing for an hour. Um, but I always tell people like, I swear that David Horton does the pre-race briefing and the dinner on purpose just to like mess everybody up and like give them somewhere to be six hours out from the race. Uh, so I thought that was really complicated and, um, pretty interesting and unique for Hellgate, to be honest. 
Um, so I, we went to the pre-race uh, briefing at six and the dinner, I think we ate the dinner around um, seven or so. Um, and then we came back to our Airbnb and I tried to sleep for about an hour before the race. We were staying about like six minutes from um, Bethel, Camp Bethel. Um, so I tried to get some sleep before the race, but it didn't actually happen whatsoever. Uh, so I just think that that day was so disorienting and like snippets of sleep here and there. I just remember it was 10 o'clock at night. So about two hours until we started. And I just looked at my husband and I was like, I am tired. <laughs> and he's like, well, everybody feels this way. So it's not just you. Everybody feels this way right now. I said, I know, but it's so weird. It was just such an odd feeling to me. Um, but we just tried to treat it like it was a morning. Like I was about to go head off to a race in the morning. Uh, we usually make Kodiak cake pancakes for breakfast. So he made me those pancakes and we were out the door and leaving around 11, I think 11, 15 or so. Um, so yeah, it definitely felt different being a nighttime start, but we tried to like normalize it as much as possible by still, still trying to keep some of our pre-race, uh, like little traditions and things in place. But, um, yeah, the midnight start was pretty tricky. It's just, it's just so unique to ultra running. I, it, really I actually, I, it just makes it such an interesting twist and it just really is awesome for that race. Uh, let's do a sort of the deep dive for your race here. Uh, take us through as much as you want, like the first seven hours or so leading up from yeah. the start of the race to about sunrise. Yeah. So the, um, the start of the race, we were all started. It was, I think, I want to say there's 25 people in our wave. Um, the top 10 seated men, top 10 seated women. And then um, the guys who were going after, I want to say it was like their 17th finish or 18th finish or something. Um, so that those five guys as well. And uh, man, people start fast. <laughs> that was, I think you had asked me a question earlier about a, you know, a surprise from Hellgate. And I think the fact like how fast some people start there was uh, really surprising to me because I'm typically kind of just making some friends in the early miles and chilling out. And I was really surprised with how much, especially the guys, how much the guys just took off. Um, and then the women's field too. I mean, there was probably a group of five or six women in front of me even that just um, that took off as well. So uh, there was a group of women that took off and I kind of stayed behind um, in like the second chunk of women. I think it was me and Bethany Patterson and Shannon Howell and a couple other women. And they were just talking and we were talking amongst ourselves. And I was just trying to tell myself like, Hey, this is going to be at least a 12 hour day. Like keep it relaxed. Uh, these early miles, one of my mo like mottos and mantra mantras going into every race is like the first climb does not matter. First climb does not matter at all. Um, because I think sometimes people get a little too eager on that. So it's just something I tell myself to keep myself nice and relaxed and to prevent myself from going out way too fast, because I think that'll be bad news for me if I do. Um, so within the first hour, I was, um, I was hoping to do the first, like the first uh, half of the race. So like hit the 33 mile mark in six hours. Um, and I knew I had splits that would have me at our first aid station at mile, mile eight, around an hour and 20 minutes. Um, and then after digging into the splits a little bit before the race, my husband told me, he's like, Hey, I think that might be like a little too fast. Um, if you want to run like the race you want to run, which is like slower up front and consistent throughout and faster in the end, like you shouldn't try to get there before 80 minutes. So had that in my mind and I ended up rolling through the first aid station, um, at 83 minutes, which I was really happy about because I was like, yay, he's going to be so proud of me. Uh, but like, I didn't know what was about to come, which was like all my digestive issues. I, um, I don't know if it was a mixture of like the midnight start. Or um, I think I over-electrolyted or over-hydrated 
leading up to the race, I have this like huge fear of East coast humidity after I've been living in the West. Cause I've realized like what a baby I become and like how much my body actually sweats in a race, even whenever it doesn't feel like you're sweating. Um, so I think I prepared a little too well for that and, uh, just messed up some electrolytes or hydration. And I ended up having to head to the trees about it was by mile 24, it was seven times. And, uh, by mile 30, it was eight times. Uh, so that put a big crimp in my early miles. Um, I think I was hanging out around somewhere between like third through fifth, um, or right around mile 24. I think we were all still pretty close. Um, but I, I, at that point early in the race, I kind of was like, okay, this is not the day I wanted. This is not the day I'm having, but just reset your mind and enjoy being out here. Enjoy the rocks, enjoy the leaves, enjoy the nighttime. This is unique. And you know that things can change. This is a long day. And like, this isn't a permanent state. It definitely felt like a permanent state because every gel I would take down, I'd have to like go to the bathroom pretty immediately afterwards. So I was like, if this is going to be my full day, this is going to be absolutely miserable. Um, but so for the first 24 miles, I was feeling really, really crappy. And I think first and second place, they were kind of um, probably about like eight minutes ahead of me or so heading into that aid station, which is the first time we can see our crew. And I ran into my husband there. I told him like, I'm not feeling good. And I'm trying to stay positive. Uh, just trying to stay positive, trying to keep smiling. He's like, yeah, things can turn around. And then you see your crew again at about six miles at Jennings Creek. And by there, then my stomach was kind of coming back to me and feeling good. But I just focused on staying super consistent through there. And I think I rolled through there in third place again in about, I think, 11 minutes back at that point. Um, and then for those of you unfamiliar, you uh, do this climb out of the Jennings Creek aid station. And I think I hit there around five hours, 40 minutes or so. Um, and then you climb out of the Jennings Creek aid station on this like long, really nice Jeep road. And you get to what is the halfway point at the top of that climb mile 33. And I knew what I wanted to do there. And that was six hours. And I looked at my watch and I think I was around like six thirteen or six eleven, somewhere in that range. And I was like, okay, uh, this isn't, wasn't what I was prepared for, but you know, there's a lot of race left. Let's see what happens. And just kept staying like super consistent, super steady. Um, and just working within myself. Cause I knew if I was running my own race that I know how that goes and I know how my race runs and I just didn't want to get caught up in anybody else's race. Um, so then there's this, uh, 17 mile section before you can see your crew again from Jennings Creek aid station to bear wallow. Um, and then you have an aid station halfway through there. I think it's like Cove mountain, I want to say. Uh, and I just, I'm focused on eating. This is when the sun comes up too. And it was just the most beautiful sunrise. And I just focused on enjoying like everything around me, knowing that, you know, I had, I had the privilege of being out there running. I was healthy. I was happy. And I was enjoying like all the miles that were behind me and ahead of me. And just knowing that I had all daylight ahead of me was super motivating at that point. Uh, so I get to the top of this climb and I just like rolled through that aid station, didn't even stop and was hoping with like how great I was running at this point and just how great I felt that like first and second would be coming back to me at any time in this section. And I later found out that that was like not the case whatsoever. And like first place was actually like distancing herself even more from me. Uh, so when I came into Bear Wallow, I, that is like my least favorite section of the day. It's like, it's six to 12 inches deep of leaves with tons of rocks underneath them. 
like you never know what you're plunging your feet and your ankles into and you're just hoping for the best with every single step uh so I just like I wanted this section to end but I was moving pretty well over it so I was like okay surely I'm gaining a little bit of time with like how good I feel and then I came into bare wall and I saw my husband and he's like oh you look good you're moving well like second place is two minutes ahead of you um first place like uh, she's already been in and like out of the aid station and he told me she was about like 12 minutes but I think she might have been quite a bit more at bare wallow and I was like oh my god are you kidding me <laughs> uh so yeah rolling into bare wallow I had actually um caught up to second place in the aid station and then at that point that's whenever um I knew first place had still had a pretty large gap on me and I just had my my work cut out for me in the second half of the race yeah, I mean, it's kind of awesome to kind of hear you kind of break down uh, what was kind of going on in the race. Uh, you were yeah. just like you said, you're about eight minutes back at Floyd's Field, which was 22 and a half miles. It was 7:42, so your split was basically right on there. And then uh, yeah. to, it's, we've had you down at 23 minutes back at Bear Wallow Gap at 42 oh. and a half, and so that kind of uh, just kind of shows you how much of a push you kind of had in those final 20-ish miles or so. Kind of talk about the next part of the race and kind of what happened in those miles and how you kind of persevered and just just took control of the situation. Oh, yeah. Uh, so at the Bear Wallow Aid Station, um, like props to my husband, Mike, as my crew. He did an amazing job. Like he was so dialed with everything I wanted and needed. And granted, I'm like really anal when it comes to planning for aid stations. And I give him like note cards of like exactly what to do. But I mean, he was spot on. So when I rolled into Bear Wallow, he was just ready for me, knew all the right things to say. And I think I did like a, quick shirt change because it was getting warm in the second half. Um, so I swapped out my nighttime clothes and put on a short sleeve shirt and pounded some smoothie and, uh, took a gel and a pickle or two and just like, like gunned it out of that aid station. Um, and David Horton is on a like megaphone there screaming in my face, like Shannon, how you look so good right now. I'm just staring at him because I'm under my buff, like wearing my mask. And I'm just staring at him like he's a crazy person. Cause it's like, I'm not Shannon Howe. Um, and then he must've asked my husband after I left, he was like, he's like, where's your wife? Where is she? And he's like, that wasn't Shannon Howe. <laughs> he was like, Oh, that's why she looked good. Okay. And then I just like gunned it out of there and was just like on the move. I had no idea any of that happened. But I was like, I was wondering what he's saying. Um, but so leaving Bear Wallow, I, I was under the, I didn't think Rachel, who was in first place at this time, uh, was that far ahead of me. I think had I known that, I probably would have considered my second place pretty like permanent for the day and just like wallowed in that and sat, sat at that place. Um, but I think I was under the impression she was like a bit closer. Um, and then I was starting to feel really good. So the climb out of Bear Wallow, man, I don't even know how much vertical feet of climbing it is, but it's really steady. Um, a really good mix of running and hiking, but there was a guy in front of me that was moving so well. He was moving so well that I told myself, I was like, okay, I know like you feel pretty good right now. I don't, I didn't feel great, but I felt good and I felt strong. I was like, cling on to him and like do everything that he's doing. So when he's running, you run what he's running when he's hiking, like power hike strong behind him. Um, so I did that on that section and just like clung to him for every step and I think, uh, he, he was feeling, definitely feeling better than me on the section too, because there was some stuff that he'd start running that I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to sit back here maybe like power hike behind his run. Um, but so this section goes, it's about 47 to Boblitz gap, about six miles from bear wallow to Boblitz gap. And, uh, 
on this section, I knew I was like, okay, just six miles until you get to see your crew again. That shouldn't take you that long. Um, I didn't really know exactly how many minutes that would take me, but I just clung on to the guy in front of me and we just went. And I, I knew my mom was going to be driving from um, Pennsylvania to see me at the last aid station around mile 60. But I told myself, I was like, huh, maybe if you're moving, like maybe your mom will actually like surprise you at the next aid station. So I kept telling myself, I was like, maybe mom will be at the next aid station. And that was just really, really motivating to me to think about uh, not only was I going to get Mike at the next aid station, but I could potentially see my mom too. Uh, so my, a big motivating factor for me in races is looking good when I see my crew. And I just kept telling myself, like, you want to look good when you see your crew in six miles. So whatever that means for me, whether it means like to slow down or speed up or get stronger, just do that and look good for your crew. So on this six mile section, I just started to feel really good hanging on to that guy and just stayed with him. And then we ended up rolling into Boblet's Gap. And um, sure enough, there was my mom. And I was, I was so happy. I was like, oh, I can't believe this. I was like, I thought this was going to happen, though. Um, so I was, I was really happy that that happened because it was definitely a boost because she doesn't get to see me race really ever. She was at my um, race at Laurel Highlands uh, two years ago, and she really enjoys being there. And then it is also motivating for me to, you know, I want to perform well and want my mom to see a good race and not for me to like DNF at mile 60 after she's driven five and a half hours. Um, so I came into Boblet's Gap and I knew I had moved well on the last section uh, but Mike had told me that Rachel had just left the aid station and she was about three minutes ahead of me. And I said, what? Like, I, had, I was like, no way. Like, there's no way. He's like, yeah. And I was trying to like motor through that aid station and just pound some pickles and smoothies. Like, no, no, take your time. Like if you run the race, I know you can race. Like you'll, you'll probably be able to catch her here in a little bit. And I was like, okay. And I took an extra minute and then I went. And like, when you leave Boblet's Gap, it's this really nice long stretch of downhill Jeep road where you can really stretch out and start running. And I just like let myself go, let gravity take me on that section. And I knew that a lot of people talk about the section after that, it's called the forever section. And it's termed that because it seems to go on forever. But Mike had told me since he's run Hellgate the last couple of years, he's like, you know what, that section, it's actually not that long. Two miles of that is that nice cruisy downhill, like stretch out on that. And then just like get to work on the forever section. So I was chasing, I hadn't seen Rachel yet. And I, um, I caught up to her right as we're I came down the, um, Jeep road trail. And then you pop onto some single track to start like the forever section trail part. And I caught up to her right as we got onto the single track there. And, um, we chatted a little bit. I just told her like what a great race she was running and commented on how nice the weather is this year. And, um, we hiked together for a bit. We started to jog together a little bit. And then I figured that that was probably my time to go. Um, and I, I did not want to do it at that time. Like I did not want to have to run up the entire uphill section that I ran, but I was like, if I am going to get first place and like, if I even want to have a shot at the course record, I need to go right now. So I just powered up this long uphill and I was like, I need to keep running until I'm out of Rachel's sight pretty much. Um, and this section ended up being way longer than I thought. I was like, oh man, I wasn't planning on running this long. But I think that just really powered me through that whole section. Um, I just tried to run as much as I possibly could, running almost the entire forever section. And then um, it is pretty technical too, technical and leafy. And it does drag on a bit. You kind of like do an uphill and then drop into like creek beds and then go back uphill and go back down into creek beds. Uh, so I'd crewed this a couple times in the past and I 
knew when I'd be rolling into the next aid station around mile 60 and just everything started to look like that aid station. I was like, I must be getting close. Uh, so I just started moving as well as I could. And I think actually after looking at some of the, um, like Strava splits of the day, I think other than maybe a few other runners, I think I ran that section faster than almost like any other woman has, or any guy has aside from a few others on, uh, I think like Michael DeBova and Jordan Chang and whatnot on that day. So I was just like, I must've been moving a lot better than I thought I was there because I, I did feel good, but I didn't know I felt that good. Uh, so then when I came into mile 60, uh, Mike told me that I think I came in around 11, 11 or so. Um, and I knew at that point, I knew the course record was twelve twenty three, And I knew on some like generous splits I had made for myself that if I felt like decent, even just decent, I should be able to do that last section in 65 minutes from date Creek to the finish. Um, so I came into there at 11, 11. I was like, okay, I have like an hour and 12 to work with. Like I can do this. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's obviously so much is going on there. What one thing I want to kind of go back to real quick is what is your mindset going to aid stations about like, I want to feel good for my crew. Cause I feel like a lot of people when they come into an aid station, you know, that could be their lowest point because they haven't seen their crew or they just like mm-hmm. want to like kind of just like collapse into a ball or whatnot. But why do you like to go into an aid station feeling your best for your crew? That's a good question. Uh, there's actually, I'm pretty sure there's, I don't know how accurate this is, but um, I think there's some like psychology studies on just like the positivity of a smile during a race. Um, and I've at least convinced myself of this. This could very well be placebo effect. Um, but something about just like being happy and smiling and being positive can actually lead to you feeling more positive during a race. Um, so that is just such a boost for me because I want them to see me feeling good. And I actually think it does encourage my body to feel better too, or it just like convinces me out of like a low spot typically. Um, so to me, it's, it's like completely psychological thing. I don't even know if there's any science behind it really that's that sound, but I believe it. Um, and I think for me, it helps me focus on what's going well and troubleshooting like quickly rather than like getting too caught up on like all the negatives that are going on. Um, like for example, early in the race when my stomach was going South, I commented on it to Mike, but I really tried to not let it define me. Um, so I could just keep focusing on like my nutrition plan, um, just to keep eating because I think what ends up happening to a lot of runners during races is they have this low and they have this down, this, um, like this negative point of the race and they end up focusing a little bit too much on that and they forget to eat. They forget to like swap their shirt out if they need to, they forget to eat salt. Um, so I think it just contributes to a lot of other things going downhill, um, like cyclically. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, if I can just stay positive and focus on like what is going well, it'll lead to all my other pieces falling into place. Um, so for me, despite being sick early on in the race, I still wanted to keep eating and like late in the race, same thing. It's late in the race. Nobody really wants to be shoving down gel after gel, but if I come into an aid station looking good, I'm on a mission. I always know exactly what I want. I want to eat a gel. I want to eat a pickle, say hi to my mom and get some smoothie and go. Um, so I think going in in a positive mindset and like almost in a pretty like calculated mindset helps like minimize your time in the aid station, but also helps keep everything moving forward in a positive direction in my mind. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, even if it is just a placebo effect and if it works, but it doesn't matter if it, if it works, right? I mean, yeah. that's the whole point of it. So 
Let's exactly. go. Let's go back to this last. So you got this. You leave this H station at sixty, and you've got you know the the race course record on your mind, and you've you know looking forward to it. What what was that last little section like, and what was that finish like finish line like for you? Yeah. So the last section is a long, like little. I think it's like two and a half mile climb with somewhere between four hundred probably about between 400 and 500 feet a mile or so um, super runnable on any other day of the week. Um, but when you're this far into Hellgate, it's not exactly the most runnable section. It's kind of like the last thing on earth you want to see when you have six miles to go. Uh, but I knew, I knew leaving that aid station that it would be like, it was short lived. It was two miles. And I had done a lot of these Jeep road climbs throughout the day. So I knew what to expect. And I just knew to run everything that felt remotely runnable for me at that time. Um, so I knew I was feeling good and ran absolutely as much as I could and just power hiking really strong on everything that like got a little bit steeper. Cause I knew if I was running any of that, I was surely going to do that in under 65 minutes, which was pretty much my goal. But I knew I had like 72 minutes or so to work with. So I know even if I, I think I asked Mike before I left that aid station, I said, if I hike this whole thing, can I still get there in 72 minutes? And I think he was like, yeah, yeah I think you can, but you shouldn't like just run, run what you can. Like you feel good, go with this. Okay. So I ran as much as I could up to the parkway. And uh, then at that point, I think you have about over three miles to go. And in my mind, I thought I had a pavement three mile downhill to the finish. Um, you don't, you, it's rocky and it's just like a rocky Jeep road. And I was pleasantly, un- I mean, unpleasantly surprised when I got up there and I was like, oh crap, I got like two miles of this now. So I would have really liked to move a bit faster on that section. And I probably could have if I wanted to, but I just did not want to at that point. So I kind of just stayed really like just strong on that two mile section. And then you hit pavement with about a mile to go. And uh, Mike and I have this mindset of our races. We always say like last mile, fast mile. And so I just had this like bringing in my head of like, oh, he's going to look at your Strava file later and see if you did your last mile as your fast mile. I was like, you should probably go a little bit here. So I went pretty, I pretty solid my last mile there. Um, and I was, I knew when it had a mile to go, I looked at my watch and I think I had about seven or eight minutes or so. I, like I, I looked at my watch. I knew I had, um, what was it? Probably like 20 minutes uh, till the, whatever the course record was. So I was like, okay, I think I'm good. Uh, so I knew I could kind of coast it in if I wanted to, but I also had no idea what was going on behind me. So like Rachel could have had a second wind, uh, somebody in third or fourth place could have had like a phenomenal second half. Uh, so it definitely felt good on that descent. Um, my ankles and my blistering feet would have loved to not have like rocks and or like any downhill probably at that point to move over. Uh, but I was just, it was super, super exciting. Um, especially when I rounded the corner uh, to head towards the finish and looking at my watch, I knew I was like, oh, okay, I knew the record was 1223 and I was well under 1210 and just seeing how excited uh, Mike was. And I was so happy to see my mom there then. It was just, it was amazing. And oh, it was very, very satisfying. Cause I honestly, like I had surprised myself on that last section then cause I thought I was just running like, like reasonable and pretty average. But even that last section, I was still running like pretty strong and, way stronger than I ever even planned to be running. So I think that was one of the biggest pleasant surprises of the day was even for sections that I kind of like allocated extra time for, for me feeling bad later in the race, I completely like exceeded that and was running significantly faster than I ever imagined, which was, that's really motivating late in the race because that never happens. 
Yeah, I mean, you also uh, negative split the race, right? Um, yeah. And what was the strategy behind why you, you went for that? And obviously it worked, worked really well, yeah. well for you. Yeah, so. this, that, thank you. Um, that was a huge goal of mine going into Hellgate. Uh, I'm a data geek and I looked into several uh, races that people have done at Hellgate in the past. Like my husband's run it twice and we've looked at his races and uh, we just, we talked about like what I was capable of. And one of those things was negative splitting the race. We found probably about like three people, um, our good friend Rudy out in Utah who has run Hellgate before. And like, he ran like this beautiful even split of the race. I was like, okay, see like Rudy did it, I can do it. And then we found like two more racers that have done that in the past. It's like, okay, there's one guy's race from I think 2015. He had run a six hour first half and a five, like 47 second half. And like in my mind, that was my ultimate goal was like, okay, you run six hours for the first half and then you run under six the second half. Um, unfortunately, it didn't quite work out that way. But like the gen the negative split that I had was still like, I knew it was doable and I knew not enough people do that. I think a lot of people get caught up in the speed early in the race and they go off really hard and then they suffer a bit the second half. And I have a big aversion to suffering in the second half. Like I want to be able to move well every mile if I can. Um, and look, I've talked, uh, Mike and I planned a lot going into this race of like a mile two. you should be running the same pace a mile two that you're running a mile 62. Uh, so that was a big goal of mine is like, that's why I go out smart in the beginning because I want to be able to run that same pace with like four miles to go. Um, so I think part of it is just wanting to feel good the whole time. Um, and just knowing that those people who do that, you lose, I think you lose way less time in the second half of a race whenever you go out conservatively. Whereas if you go out fast, sometimes you're probably paying for a double uh, later in the race. So that was a huge goal. And I think that was probably like my A goal really was to just run a negative split and run as smart as I could. Cause I knew if I negative split it, I'd probably have the day I wanted to have. Yeah. I mean, that's an, Oh, that's an, real quick. That's an awesome strategy, obviously yeah. to kind of uh, be able to execute it as efficiently as you did out there. Um, yeah. One thing I'm curious about, and I'm sure a lot of other people are super curious about this as well is will you return to Hellgate and how much time can you shave off of your previous time that you just said? Yeah, I, oh, I, the second I finished Hellgate, I said, I think I'm done. Uh, I don't think I'm done yet, but uh, I do really want to do Hellgate on a crappy weather year. I feel like we got so spoiled this year. It was beautiful and I really can't complain because I think that's why the times were so fast. But uh, man, the weather they had last year uh, was just torrential downpour, 30 degrees the whole time. Like part of me kind of wants that, part of me kind of doesn't. But I think it's not a true Hellgate until you have that. So I think from this point on, Mike and I might rotate years. Um, he ran last year, I ran this year. So I think it's his turn next year because he had some big goals last year and then was kind of the weather uh, threw some of his time goals out the window. So I think maybe in two years. Uh, and I think, I mean, I'm going to keep going for the sub 12 there. Cause I think that is like such a reasonable goal, especially after seeing like the men's course record this year, uh, Michael DeBova ran in, um, he ran 10, 15 or so. And I am of the mindset that women, I, th I, th I think women can be within one minute per mile um, within the range of like men's times. So like if I'm equating that to the women's times, like women can do, I mean, obviously they can do exactly what men are doing if you're bringing like the most competitive women in the world there. 
but like I think women could do like 1130 there so I think like the sky is really the limit and I think if this year was telling of the type of competition that Hellgate's bringing I think the women are just going to keep pushing each other to get faster and faster uh, so my ultimate goal there is to improve upon the race I had this year like strategically uh, pace wise stomach wise just a little bit of everything like I think any like incremental improvements is always uh, satisfying in my mind but I think ideally I, I'd like to go for like 11.45 there if I could. Did you, um, you were talking about being a data geek, did you already go through your whole Strava for this race and analyze and like look at what pieces you would have, would you, you would look at for improving for your time next time? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly in the first half, honestly, I, th- I think I, I, I know I could run like a six hour, but also I don't know even if like, say I ran faster the first half, maybe I couldn't have run as strong the second half. So who knows? But I do think like I could have run six hours the first half had I like limited my bathroom stops to not eight. Um, so done like six hours and like, you know, 555 or something. I think that was something like I probably could have done this year if things would have like if I would have had my perfect day. Uh, so I think there's definitely places I could, uh, you know, like the last downhill even like I was being a little baby on that and just kind of settling into a happy place and not exactly pushing myself. So I think if I push myself on that, even I could probably do a minute per mile faster. Uh, but sometimes when you get to a point, you're just like, I just want to soak this in right now. This is, I'd rather enjoy this than be in like extreme pain. So I think I was at the point of just enjoying the day there. For sure. And we're excited to kind of see you out. If you guys, if you and Mike can do that strategy every other year, you go back in two years from now. Um, for the, a lot of listeners that don't know, Mike actually won the race last year. So I think uh, after Leah, you set the course record, I think it's only fitting that he has to go after the course record. Uh, exactly. That's year. what I've been telling him. And it's, it's funny too. Like we're not necessarily, we're not competitive with each other, but there's certain things about how we each race that I think motivates the other person. Uh, so Mike's already said, he's like, I need to like race like how you did this year at Hellgate next year. Cause he hasn't exactly like negative split it yet. He's probably done quite the opposite and he's gotten Hellgate eyes, which I was able to avoid this year. Um, so I think it's funny because like we, we totally learn something from each other's races every year. Um, like I knew last year, he told me, he was like, he went too hard on the one section. He's like, so don't do that. Um, and he was able to give me like all these tidbits. So I think like each year, even though like I'm not going to be racing next year and he will be, we're still able to gain some kind of information and like insight just from each other racing every year. And I think like crewing is more fun sometimes too. And it's more tiring. Well, that's what's so unique about Hellgate. I, we talked to some callers on uh, Voss Talks, Eric Anderson, Richard Floyd, who ran the race, and they say kind of experiences everything at Hellgate. You know, your first time there, you sometimes always knock it out of the park because you yeah. just don't know what to expect. There's a lot going on. But kind of like, did last year's experience just crewing kind of set you up to kind of just ignore those first year troubles that a lot of runners face when they do it? And it like set you up to do better than you probably would have? Yeah, I think so, honestly. And I think the fact, um, that Mike had so much good insight into the race and the fact like I was just after seeing the conditions last year, I was prepared for everything and anything. Um, like I, I had all the clothes ready to go for a really cold, miserable year. Uh, so I think you just, you learn a little bit each time. Uh, and I think, uh, crewing gives you some insight into, you know, when to, ex- when to expect the aid stations, like even what the aid stations have. I didn't really, I didn't eat anything from the aid stations actually a pretty, uh, dialed when it comes to my nutrition and know exactly what I need. And Mike usually has that for me. Uh, so I, I think like, and I also think some 
ultras are won and lost in stop time during aid stations. So I think like even crewing last year taught me like how efficient I wanted Mike to be. Like I knew how efficient I was last year with him and he knew like I wanted the same thing from him. So I think you just learn a lot there with what did Mike want at mile 47? Maybe I'll want the same thing. Uh, so we've, we've learned different things like that with like the types of things we want. And then also like how fast we want to move in and out of aid stations. What did your uh, nutrition look like for the race? Like what did you have, you said you were probably, um, you were pretty, you know, organized where you had the cards and everything with all the stuff mm-hmm. on it. Um, so what were you, what things were you typically eating? What things do you stay away from during races? And did you try anything yeah. new or were you, uh, good? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I start eating at one hour and I eat every 30 minutes, uh, regardless of how I'm feeling. So if I'm spending half my time in the bathroom in the trees, uh, I'm still eating like regardless. I know that like when you're running that long of a distance, you need to keep fueling. Like even if, even if you don't want to, even if you're nauseous, it's just important. Um, so I eat and I eat spring gels, uh, primarily. So I was eating a spring gel every 30 minutes starting at one hour. And then I drink primarily water and I was drinking electrolyte drink, but that just wasn't working for me whatsoever early on. Um, and then in eight stations, I'll drink soup and smoothies and uh, pickles and that's it. So I'm a very, like a, it almost sounds like a liquid mushy diet for the day, but it works for me. <laughs> Pretty simple too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of runners can kind of take pieces of that and apply that to their own uh, races, which will be awesome to kind of see. Uh, yeah. One thing I want to know now, obviously you're not going to be at Hellgate next year. Well, you will be, but just in the crewing aspect. Yeah. But what races are you running next year? And what are some of your goals for 2021? Yeah, so so far I am signed up for um, my Canyons 100K uh, registration from last year kind of rolled over to next year. So I plan on doing that in April. I think that's like, April 24th or so. Uh, I ideally like if I could get a golden ticket there, that would be awesome. Um, but there's a ton of really, really, really competitive women running this year. So we'll see. Um, like if I were to do well there, then like Western States would definitely be on my radar. But if, uh, if Western States doesn't happen, then I'm probably just going to do a, uh, local 50 miler here in Utah that I ran a couple years ago called Squaw Peak. And it's just a really fun, really verty uh, 50 miler that, bunch of my friends do so it's always a nice one just to have in the early season uh race radar and then i plan on doing we if utmb happens uh next year we went out uh last year and uh we mike and i both started tds and we both dnf tds for different reasons um so if utmb happens next year we're both going to go back and do uh different races i think i might either i'll do occ or ccc um and then the only other one I have on the radar next year is the Bear 100 out here, which was my first and only 100 miler. And I hope to go back and do that again. There's a lot of runners in the East Coast that love going out to the West Coast, but you also love going from the West Coast to the East Coast, which is super unique to see from yeah. a lot of oh, a West Coast runner. What's kind of the differences between the two coasts involving the ultra scene? And what are the, some things you kind of like about running on the East Coast versus the West Coast and kind of vice versa? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, originally I'm from Pennsylvania and my husband, Mike's from Maryland. So anytime we come to the East coast for, uh, racing, it's just a great opportunity to see friends and family and to also involve our family in our racing, which they all really enjoy. And it's also like, like I mentioned earlier, it just really builds you up during a race. Uh, so in the past, I mean, I, we, my first early days of ultra running, we're all in the Virginia and, uh, Maryland area. 
And then last year I did the Laurel Highlands uh, 70 miler in Pennsylvania, which actually is right outside my hometown. So I had all my sisters there and like my parents there, even my grandma was there. It was awesome. Uh, but like, yeah, there's so like East coast versus West coast is so different. Um, the West coast, I think like, especially out in Utah, we have got a lot of like really long, um, long high, uh, climbs and you get up to altitude. I mean, we live here at 5,000 feet and I could, you know, there's a peak right on my house. That's like 11,000 feet if I wanted to go up that. So just like the altitude is different here and like the type of technicality is different. Um, I personally think like the East coast technicality of their trails is way more challenging. There's just like all the rocks, all the roots, all the leaves, and like, it's never ending. Um, and that's what I saw at lower highlands. Like I twist my ankle a hundred times. Um, and like, same with Hellgate, like, yeah, it never goes away. Like you want it to go away, but it doesn't. Whereas in Utah, it's like pretty, uh, palatable, you know, a no trail is, I mean, there's some trails that are really, really technical, but, um, just nothing really compares to how technical the East coast trails get. And I think like you could switch like humidity and altitude. And I think they have the exact same effect in terms of like when I reach, like, I think any benefit I get from living at altitude out here completely gets negated when I suffer East coast humidity. And I've had that in multiple East coast races now. Uh, and like, so I think they're very different. I think sometimes like the old school feel of races, um, is a little bit more present on the East coast. For example, like I think the hydration of choice during Laurel Highlands is Gatorade, which I couldn't tell you the last time I saw Gatorade as like the beverage of choice at an aid station. Uh, so I, I think it's, they're just very different, but they're really, really special. Um, and each have like their own different history. So I don't think we'll be, uh, like not, I think we'll be going to East coast races for the foreseeable future because we just absolutely love at least incorporating one of those a year in our uh, planning because like family, but then also just like the different environment it provides us. It's awesome to hear that perspective on the differences between the two. Um, we got a couple, couple quick questions from the chat we've got from tonight. We've got Nick Voss asking, what is your favorite local hill in Salt Lake City? Oh, that's a good question. So um, there is this one that we went to like three times and it was like my Hellgate training hill it's uh it's called hughes it's hughes canyon and it climbs a thousand feet in a mile and it's really rocky and technical and we did this i think three times in training uh and i did uh three repeats on it at night it usually takes about an hour and a half or so and we would go out at night around like eight o'clock when i was already tired from my day of work and we would do three round trip repeats onto it so it normally goes up to a waterfall but on this particular training run the goal wasn't really to see the waterfall. It was to get the vert and get the nighttime technical downhill running. So I think like, it wasn't my idea. It was definitely Mike's and like begrudgingly I did it whenever he would say like, Hey, tonight's a great night for Hughes repeats. And I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. So I, it was a great staple. I wouldn't, I didn't think about it myself, but like looking back, he was like, Oh, you're really going to appreciate this during Hellgate. And I definitely did. It was uh, the best training run I probably could have done. And one that I'll probably use in the future anytime I do an East Coast race, especially. Oh, John, rookie mistake. Oh, I left my microphone on. <laughs> Sorry, my, uh, my cat was just over here and his purr is so loud. Like I had to mute the microphone. I was, everyone was just going to hear this thing going on in the background. So <laughs> had it muted there. Um, 
Next question from the chat is Samuel Harmon asking about what happened at TDS. Oh, yeah. So this is interesting. I think this is actually probably helpful for a lot of people. I, again, it's me and electrolytes just don't get along. But um, I think I over, it was very humid there, actually. We had a really nice weather day, but it was really humid compared to what I'm used to uh, out here in Utah. And I probably over electrolyted or hydrated or over hydrated early on. And then I think there was a language barrier at one of the aid stations where I asked for water and they filled both my bottles with uh, more electrolyte mix around mile 10. Um, so then it was like a solid, like two hour, two and a half hour stretch to the next aid station. And I was already over electrolyted. And then I was just given more electrolytes to drink. And it was just really bad news. I had started to have lower back pain, um, which I had had once before. And um, I, I associate that with kidney pain and the lower back pain was just getting really extreme by mile 40 that I was pretty much convinced that it was kidney pain. And if you have extreme kidney pain during a race, it can lead to rhabdo, which really concerns me. So I had to pull the plug at mile 40 and TDS is now a 90 mile race. So a little under halfway, uh, wasn't the easiest race to get back to the finish line from unfortunately. And lots, I made some nice uh, French friends though, that ended up parting me around and taking me from aid station to aid station. But yeah, it was definitely a lesson learned the hard way. And clearly I didn't learn my lesson if I have the same issues at uh, Hellgate, but luckily this time I didn't have any kidney pain. And I, I think I've learned how to solve it now on the fly. Um, and just like, will not like keep drinking electrolytes, even if that is my only hydration choice at that point. But I think for runners in general, it's something to be concerned with. Cause I think a lot of people are like, when they're ultra runners in general, they're like, no pain, no gain. Like got to keep going, got to get to that finish line. But like at what cost? And to me, like physical ailments and like hospitalization is not a cost that's worth it. Um, so like anytime I have lower back pain, I associate with kidney pain and usually pull the plug. That's interesting. Um, yeah, electrolyte balances are probably like so. Tricky. Yeah, you have to like think about like I mean, especially with the different levels of sweat and like you said out mm-hmm. on the West Coast, you don't know you're sweating that much because it just kind of disappears a little differently and stuff like that. When you're sweating over in the exactly. East Coast and you have that humidity that just like soaks you, you're yeah. kind of confused. Don't miss that. <laughs> so, um, we got another question in the chat from I think Mike Monagle and who else asked? Um, another person asked the same question. I can't see it. Um, but it says plus one for what is your running mantra? Oh, <laughs> uh, Kara, Kara asked that too. <laughs> um, yeah. So my, uh, I have the most ridiculous running mantra and uh, my one sister, the one time when she, she used to run marathons and she's run one ultra marathon, the JFK 50 miler. And she told me going into one of my race, I think before the bear 100, two years ago, she just said like, just super, super chill, chill. So like, honestly, like starting at mile 10, that's honestly the only thing that is in my mind. If I like start feeling my pace pick up, it's just like in my mind, I'm just like, just tell myself super, super chill, chill. And you should adopt it because it works wonders. And I think it totally kept me mellow early on and kept me really relaxed. Um, And then in addition to that, I had a friend that um, before the bear 100 in uh, 2018, he messaged me the night before and he said like, whatever you do, this is your first hundred. Like, don't let anything bother you. And like, I kept telling myself that early in Hellgate because there were so many things that I wanted to be concerned about and I wanted to bother me and I wanted to get down about, but, um, I knew like positivity wins and just don't let this bother you. It will pass. 
And I think John Anderson even told Mike before the race, he's like, you know, we get to run over these rocks and roots and in these leaves. And I think reframing your mind in that type of positive light of like, we have the privilege to do this. Like we get to do this. It makes you look at those rocks and leaves. Like they're not death traps and more that it's a privilege. Love it. Yeah. That's a great, great mindset there. Uh, we're going to go into our quick questions. This show is going to go slightly longer than most of them, but that's totally okay. Cause it's been an awesome episode so far. So we're going to go into, if you have any final chat questions, get them in now and then uh, we'll do our quick questions. So our first quick question, I'm going to do my favorite. Um, if ultra running ahead, walk up songs like baseball, what oh, would yours God. be? And this answer is going to be added to our Spotify playlist uh, <laughs> Tunes of the nation. Oh man. So the only like, so I had one song in my head the whole time I was running Hellgate just because it's been like my most recent like jam song. Um, so I don't even know if it's a good walk-up song. It's probably like the least great walk-up song you've met. It's, it's called uh, Hallucinogenics, but it's a, it's a good song, really catchy. Um, but that's the only one that, that was like the theme of my Hellgate like track playlist in my mind. Anytime I'd be humming a song to myself, it was that song. Do you know that one, John? No, I don't. I don't think so. I, want to think I don't even know who the it. artist is. It's like one of those ones that comes on like a popular place. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Um, but I can like, no. We'll definitely uh, get that added right after the episode ends. <laughs> and I'm going to be curious uh, to check it out myself. Um, if you had one bucket list race kind of the next five years, what's one that you definitely want to run? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think I'd have to say Western States. Um, I've, I probably want to, Mike and I probably want to start a family here in the next couple of years. And so in my mind, I kind of want to see if I can get into Western States before then, which would be fun. And I know I can obviously do it afterwards too. Um, but I think in the very near future, Western States is definitely on the radar. Um, and then I was also signed up for run rabbit run this past year. So I think I'd like to do that. Um, one of these years, I think it rolled over to 2022 if I want it as well. Um, since I won't be doing it this year, but I think that the Western States is up there and um, gosh, I just want to make it to speed goat start line uh, uninjured the last couple of years. I've either like pulled out cause I didn't want to do it or I've been injured. So I know speed goat for me is totally going to be a one and done. So I just need to get it done. So I don't have to think about it anymore. Definitely. John, I think you had a, another question here. Yeah, we got another one. Um, that is if you could run with uh, one person in the history of the world, even if they aren't <laughs> a runner, um, imagine they could run with you and keep your pace. Who would it be? Oh, I'd have to say my favorite comedian, John Mulaney. Um, I just think he would keep me like laughing the whole time and just telling me like absolutely ridiculous stories. And like he has this one skit where he like imitates himself running and it's the most ridiculous looking thing in the world. So I just think at that, that would be amusing. Uh, but yeah, I think he'd be pretty fun to run with. <laughs> Nice. That is one of the best answers that we've had on <laughs> <laughs> our show yet. I don't think we've ever had a comedian either, which is kind of awesome too. Nope. So that's that's awesome to kind of add that uh, genre there as well. Uh, before we wrap any, any, the show up, do you have any sponsors or anyone you want to uh, say thank you to? Um, no, I have no sponsors. Um, I would like to thank my uh, mom and Mike for being out there for me at Hellgate, though. They were just like incredible the whole time and just like huge inspiration for me and just motivating factors the entire race so um yeah i'd rather have them in my life any day than any sponsors sounds like you need to get some sponsors especially that beer <laughs> one um so as we wrap up here uh for our listeners who want to follow you on social media or on strava uh where can they find you 
Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. My name is Leah underscore Yingling, not spelled like the beer though. Um, and on Strava, I'm Leah Yingling on there and I'm also on Facebook too. Awesome. Um, reminder to Ridge Runner Nation members that this will be our last Ridge Runners Live show of this year. Um, we will have another Voss Talks to close out 2020, you know, pretty much to talk about goals and other things. So look out for that post when Wesley puts it up. Uh, thanks again for everyone who joined this evening. Leah, you've been a wonderful guest. Congratulations on your course record in first place. Um, it's an awesome accomplishment, and we can't wait to see what you do in the future. So we'll see everyone uh, next time. Thank you, guys. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning in to another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Version Our Nation. Yeah.